you're listening to a podcast of Spurious... No, you're not. It's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan's taking being uh, re- relegated to co-host uh, very well, as you can tell. I'm just going to start doing what you lot do. I'm going to start <laughs> saying some all the way through it. Oh, I'm, I'm so including this. <laughs> I'll be genuinely amazed if any of this makes it into the final. The final <laughs> right, I'll be good now. <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> Would you like to try the intro again? Absolutely not. And welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Connor, and today we're joined by Johnston. Hello. And by Tom. Hello. Um, and we're here to talk about the Eighth Doctor and some of the friends and companions he's travelled with over the years. Uh, in particular, looking in on the two further adventure sets. Uh, the first with Sheridan Smith as Lucy Miller, and the second with India Fisher as Charlie Pollard. So, just very quickly, um, each of you just give me your favourite episode from each set. So, uh, Johnston, favourite episode from the further adventures of Lucy Miller. Island of the Fendal, without a doubt. Um, I love the Fendal. I think the Fendal are brilliant, and I don't think there's enough of the Fendal in the extended Hooniverse. And I was very excited when I saw they were doing a Fendal story and it absolutely uh, sort of stuck the landing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think possibly one of my favourite um, classic monster or one of my favourite classic monsters that's not one of the big names like the Daleks or the Cybermen. Um, Tom, what about you? I actually really like the Revolution game. It's like it gives me a lot of a uh, like Series One vibes, and it's just like fun and it's nice and like it's got like really like larger than life characters, and it's just you know I mean it's nothing like it's not amazing, but you know it just it's just like it was a fun time. It was a a fun way to spend an hour. It sort of gave me like that Phobos sort of like feeling or whatever. Whereas you know it's like yeah, but it was it was it was a good time. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I. I think I'd probably pick it as my favourite from that set as well. Um, just a big, fun, blustery, you know, action-adventure piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really like it. Um, And what about Charlotte Pollard, the further adventuress, uh, Johnston, which is your favourite episode? Slightly more torn on this one. Um, There were sort of two that really stood out to me, uh, which were The Mummy Speaks and Heart of Orion. Um, I'm going to go with Heart of Orion. Because uh, it kind of 
it's obviously a sequel to an older story, but it's not kind of the sequel you'd expect. And I really appreciated that when I first listened to it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it was nice to get one that sort of picked up from that story and didn't go down the obvious route of having the Cybermen in it. Um, it sort of goes back into the Orion War stuff, which we haven't heard from Big Finish um, for quite a while. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, and Tom, what about you? See, this is really hard because I love every um, I, I love every story from that set. Um, if I had to be pushed to pick, I'd maybe just go with the Mummy Speaks. Um, it's just it was just such a joy just hearing them back after so long. Um, yes, the Mummy Speaks was very good, but I also love Eclipse and I also love Have Orion. It's like great like end cap to the series one sort of thing but yeah cool um well we'll jump in then and we'll just go through very quickly episode by episode then um so we'll jump in with the further adventures of lucy miller and the dalek trap which was uh sheridan smith's return to the role after uh quite a long time away um johnson what do you think it's not my favorite um but I, I did think it was playing with some nice ideas. It, it sort of plays with the, well, this is, you know, we know how Lucy's story ends and it's big and brilliant and dramatic. And it kind of plays with that a little bit, teases with that a little bit and uh, gives us a slightly out of the ordinary Dalek story as well. So, yeah, generally it, it's it, it's a fun listen, uh, but it's it's certainly not a highlight of the set for me. Um, no, I think I'd agree with that. I I do seem to fall slightly on the more positive side on it than I think a lot of people maybe do, um, in that I do quite enjoy it. I do quite like having the episode centred around Sheridan Smith um, as her first big one back. Um, but I, I, I certainly wouldn't call it the strongest in the set either. Um, Tom, what do you think? I like it. That's my review. Okay. Um. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it, 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 I, when I heard it, I, I wasn't um, totally in the mood because it's a very, it's a very uh, confusing, it's a discombobulating story. You know, you listen to it, and it, you know, it is, it's intentionally meant to leave you scratching your head a bit. Um, and also, it was meant to be like the big return of Sheridan Smith after so long. Which, as I listened to it years later, and I've still got Lucy Miller stories to hear that I haven't heard. I've only heard series one, so it didn't have that effect on me and you know so, so like it was it didn't necessarily uh float my boat but like i can certainly see there there's to like about it i mean it's quite a unique use of the daleks i mean obviously you've got sharon smith in a leading role you know pomegan takes a back seat um didn't wasn't my cup of tea but like you know i can certainly see it's certainly i can see the appeal of the dalek trap for a more uh, you know detailed review <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think the biggest criticism I can muster for it is that it, while I, I, I'm, I'm contradicting myself here, I know I said that I like that it puts Sheridan Smith front and centre, it does seem to miss the maybe what people liked most about the original Eighth Doctor Adventures was the dynamic between Paul McGann and Sheridan Smith. Do you think and, it would have maybe been better like later on in the set, in like the middle of the set, or do you think it would have, I guess, lost the point even more because then it wouldn't be the big return, like... Um. Yeah, I I think it's fine. I think it has to be where it is, both because it's Sheridan Smith's big return and because it starts the story arc for the set. And you know, the the point of the set is that it's bookended by the Dalek Trap and by Island of the Fendal. 
Um, I don't think it really could have been in, in you know in any other place in the set. Mm. Um, but that's grand. Um, the next episode was the Revolution game, um, which we've said already was quite a fun one. Um, Johnston, what do you think of the Revolution game? Uh, it was an awful lot of fun, and I completely agree with what Tom said earlier about it really having, uh, it really sort of catching the, I hate this word, but catching the vibe of <laughs> those uh, those Eighth Doctor and Lucy series. Chanty's been hanging around a load of Gen Zers. <laughs> yeah. It's a living. So, yeah, I, I, I like what it's, doing and I like the fact that it really does sort of have the same feel that's what us grown ups say it has the same mm. feel as those <laughs> uh, first couple of um, McGann series I have to admit I think it feels more like a season 2 story than a season 1 one it's a bit, it's a bit more sort of Grand Theft Cosmosy than Phobos I think but um, it, it's an awful lot of fun and yeah it really does sort of recapture the feeling those that were going into this set for nostalgia this is definitely the one for them yeah i completely agree it was it was one of the things i'd noted down was that it i think out of the whole box set it feels most like one of the original run um and again we get that great dynamic between paul mcgann and sheridan smith that you know the classic sort of eighth doctor and lucy banter is here in full force really really enjoy it um Tom, what about you? Yeah, I mean, like I, I said, I, I really loved this one. I really connected with it. I mean, I I think, I mean, it depends, like, I guess what mood I'm in. But, like, I do quite like my fun, cheap and cheerful who, you know what I mean? Like, the sort of just quite breezy. Um, this remind, this story sp- specifically reminded me a bit of The Red House from the uh, the Six Octa Last Adventure. Um, which again is sort of similar. It's just it's very, you know, you've got like these like aliens and they're like quite goofy and it's quite you know they're just based on quite simple uh, monster archetypes. But I think I think it all really works together. You know, there's so much fun energy in this, and also like the the writing and the style is very much like of those earlier Lucy adventures. But also the acting, like like Paul McGann, like this was 2018, so like you know. Um, it's you know it's quite it's years after nearly a decade after those that original run, but he he sounds so youthful in this. Like not like he doesn't anyway because Paul McGann just doesn't seem to age, but he just it literally just sound like a capture from two thousand and seven. It's it was, it was really strange to hear. Like his voice is so the pitch is so high and the tones are so rich and yeah, it just it really it it felt like tea time two thousand and seven all over again. It was it was. It was a lot of fun. I um I wasn't like, I guess I was expecting to enjoy it that much. I think I'd heard even some bad things about it, but I had like an absolute blast with it. It's like definitely going to be on the uh, the re-listening list because it's just it's a fun way to spend an hour. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I think it, it's strange to say for an audio drama, but one of my favorite things about it is the imagery it sort of conjures up. Um, particularly near the end. Mm. Um, with the Doctor and Lucy on the dam, and it's so vivid how they do manage to paint that picture of the the sports tournament and the 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 vistas of the ice. I think that's maybe what makes it so such an appealing uh, hour of audio drama because it does paint a really nice vista, I think, in your mind for the uh, the whole alien planet thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's really really easy to visualize that race sequence as well, which is mm. 
quite a feat to pull off. That was really well done. The one I always sort of remember is the Jengu sort of taking off after the dam has burst and sort of, you know, flying up through the, the sky and the, the Doctor and Lucy. Yeah. Sort of the colours that come out of it. It's a really, really beautiful image in my head, at least. Um, but yeah, yeah, really strong one. I think possibly my favourite, as I said, from the set. Um, and it's, it's it's nice to have, you know, those two in the middle that you can revisit quite easily as standalones, um, which is a little harder to do with um, the Dalek Trap and Island of the Fendal. Um, but moving on then, that brings us to The House at the Edge of Chaos, um, the third episode in the set. Johnston, what did you think? I have to admit this one lost me a little bit. There's there's an awful lot going on. It's sort of a very uh, interesting idea, concept, and it's a very, very Eighth Doctor story. Uh, I think it's probably actually more of a throwback to the later Charlie stuff, though, the Charlie and Kerry stuff, sort of post-Divergent Universe, when... Mm. Um, it just like the concept that it's playing with. It's just the sort of thing I can feel being stuck in around. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it, it's so. Yeah, it's kind of throwing back to a different era, and it's kind of interesting to hear Lucy in a situation like that. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I do. I, I again, I, I see what you mean about it feeling more like a Charlie story or that, you know, that late era Charlie story. But I, I do get that same, you know, original run of Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller vibes, maybe a bit more of the series one sort of feel um, than the fun cartoony series two version. Um, but um, Tom, what did you think? Yeah, no, that's actually quite an interesting, like, perspective I hadn't really thought, but I, you can really picture, like, you know, like the whole, like, Charlie being, like, Preferring to do upstairs and not to be in front, like, like yeah, I think that 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 be quite an, an interesting, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> um, sorry, it just really threw me off because like, that is just like it's so spot on. Um, but the story itself, I thought it was quite good actually. Um, but on the shorter side, uh, it was only about forty minutes or something like that, which was um, slightly odd. But yeah, no, it was. Um, I quite like the family dynamics, the family drama. I think that's quite well played out. Um, the whole, I mean, obviously the, the idea of like a, a living house, um, you know, sort of thing. It's not a new concept. I mean, there was, um, from this year, there was, I think another story that was at a similar concept, but, um, you know, it works, it works quite well. Um, it's, it's, it's fun. It's pacey. I like that the, uh, the ending, the, um, the sort of sun is sort of like a, a hard, you know, uh, Message to sort of try, you know, like a lesson rather to uh, you know, deal with, and you know, it's um, yeah, it was it was an enjoyable little romp, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I I I, I like that family drama. Um, as you said, um, the sort of squabbling brother and sister are quite good. Um, and the whole um alienation between the two of them and their parents is is, yeah. is is quite good it certainly could come across as really like overplayed and really stereotypical and i think it managed to mostly avoid that and keep it fresh just by spoke just because he's quite a good writer the person writing it is a um, is it is it is it eddie eddie robson yeah yeah for eddie robson yeah um so i think just the dialogue just keeps it really uh fresh and fun yeah yeah absolutely and there's a really 
um, sort of slimy distastefulness, I think, to the to the structure that um, Darius and his wife have sort of imposed on the house mm. um, and the people, you know, the colonists who live in it. Um, and actually really, really find myself creeped out by the image of this house being built out of, you know, Darius's cloned body. Um, yeah, I think they mentioned it's it's not concrete, it's not wood, it's it's flesh and bone, and it's 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 quite a horrible realization when you get to that bit. Really, really well done. Um, moving on then to the final episode of the set, image of the Fendal, not image, island of the Fendal. Island. Let's talk <laughs> about image of the Fendal. Yes, we must because it's really, really good, and everyone should watch it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we talked about that quickly. It's, it's more, <laughs> more Hinchcliffe than Hinchcliffe. But um, no, Island of the Fendal, um, closing out the set. What do we think, Johnston? Um, I thought this was an absolutely brilliant ending to the set. It tied everything together. It made more sense of what we'd listened to before, particularly the Dalek trap. Um, and it, it, it also served as a excellent sequel to image of the fendal didn't really do anything that image of the fendal didn't um but it, it sort of it played on um certain things really strongly and it you know the isolated community and the whole thing about you know everyone's related when it comes to the fendal and just the key concepts that were introduced in image um I mean, uh, Big Finish did a another Fendal story roughly around the same time, and it was a Torchwood one. And, I mean, it's typical Big Finish, isn't it? You wait 20 years for a Fendal story, and then two come along at once. They're like buses. Uh, I, 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 this was definitely the better of the two. It was the one that was more like Image of the Fendal of the two. Uh, but it and the Torchwood one had some proper similarities and what we've yet to see is um something slightly or even completely different being done with the fendal uh, at big finish i say at big finish because there is a caldor city audio series for magic bullet that really uses the fendal in an interesting way um, and I kind of wish, while I did love Island of the Fendal and it's lovely and nostalgic for Image, I would kind of like to have seen something a bit different there, really. Sounds like an excuse to me for bringing the Fendal back at some point, just if anyone from Big Finish is listening. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd be there for that. Yeah, no, definitely. And as I said, it's one of my favourite monsters. Um, and anything in it or anything you know with it, I will get. So, um, Tom, what do you think? It was all right. Um, I, you know, I don't actually think I've ever seen Image of the Fendal, at least not since I was like about, you know, whoa. Like three-year-old. Whoa, I don't, whoa, I don't think, whoa. Yeah, I know. Um, but, I mean, I, I know enough from, you know, general being a fanness. <laughs> um, so, you know, it wasn't too uh, lost on me. Uh, it was fine. It. Um, I, I think it sort of brings maybe the where this set falls down a bit for me compared to the Charlie set. And I don't know if it needed an arc and it needed a, an overarching thing. Um, but it, I mean, it works for what it's doing and it, I mean, certainly, certainly, yeah, for, for what it, for, for what it was setting out to do it, I think it 
excels and it's quite an entertaining hour in that sense. Um, but, you know, it, it was all right. It was all right. I think it's it's interesting what you were saying about um, uh, sort of maybe the set didn't need an arc. I mean, it, it's, it's essentially series 1.5 of the mm. Eighth Doctor and Lucy Miller. And they had all the four series had arcs going through them. So I guess, That's true. I guess they are kind of still, it's, it, we're looking at it differently because it's a box set and the original releases were monthly. Yeah. But actually it, it is still sticking to that same format. And I will, I mean, I'll say this like when we get to the Charlotte Pollard set, but I do quite like how the last story in that links into season one, but I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't, fully work for me here but like i can certainly see why maybe you know if i was more of a fendal stan like connor maybe i would have uh, been uh, more blown away by it I, I i do like it having the arc i must say it does make it feel a little bit more linked and cohesive mm. and more of a single unit as a set rather than a collection of four different stories which is fine but i think it worked so well here um that it would have been a shame a real shame not to do it um I, I like this story a lot. I think as Jonty said, or, or sorry, I think as uh, Johnson said, it, it hits every beat you'd expect from a Fendal sequel. Um, but it doesn't do much more than that, but it is solid and it's entertaining and I really, really do enjoy, you know, listening to it. Um, yeah, I, I think going into it, you maybe would expect the slightly obvious route of making Lucy Miller the Fendal core. But it avoids that and it goes for the Doctor instead. And I think it's all the better for it. Um, and yeah, definitely a favourite of mine that I'll come back to a lot in the you know years to come. Um, that wraps it up then, I think, for the further adventures of Lucy Miller. Um, and we can move on now to Charlotte Pollard, the further adventuress. Um, what do we think of that title for a start? Amazing, hundred percent, ten out of ten. The best title of any Big Finish box set, unironically, it's it's it, the best. It did make me laugh out loud whenever it was announced. So I think you know, ten out of ten is a a fair uh, score to give it. <laughs> um, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, I, I I love the pun. I really love the pun. It would have been an absolutely fantastic headline of a news article on the big finish website it would have been fantastic plastered all over twitter by the big finish intern and we do love you big finish intern we really do um but as a box set title no it doesn't work for me unfortunately so i think that's what makes it funny though because i mean it is like it's obviously it is a terrible title but it <laughs> like it's sort of like it's one of those where it's so bad it sort of flips around back to being good again because it's just like such like it's such a silly pun it's like so like just like it's so silly but like i don't know yeah like, you wouldn't like you'd never expect it's just like think, so think, think back to sort of you know when you were relatively new to who and you walked into a shop and you saw big finish on the shelf you'd look at that and you'd think oh they've spelt that wrong you wouldn't get the pun and it's you know the the, the way this set was done it, it kind of it's it's not playing too heavily on the nostalgia 
Um, it, it, it's just four stories, four relatively standalone stories. Okay, one's a sequel to another story, but you don't really need to hear Sword of Orion to 100% get it. Hmm. Um, I just sort of, yeah, I just sort of think that to us, yeah, we get the joke, we've heard the Charlie stories, but, uh, you know, it is somebody walking into a shop to maybe try out the first big finish and seeing it on the shelf, going to look at that and go, Oh yeah, that's quite good actually. Um, I, I just sort of think it, it's it's a little too self-referential for my liking, and I I think the further adventures of Charlotte Pollard would have been slightly more boring but better title. Um, I I I I do fall on the just on the side of liking it, but I think agree with Tom in that it's a case of it being it's so bad it's good. Um, it's a really, really cheesy pun, and I just admire the bravery of putting that as the box set title more than anything else. Um, the set kicks off with the money, the mummy speaks exclamation mark, um, which is becoming a bit of a trend between this and um, Master with Eric Roberts. Um, what do we think of it? I always thought it was quite a lot of fun. Um, Johnston, The Mummy Speaks. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a really good story. We've got all sorts of stuff about, you know, McGann gets a new companion. <laughs> Guy. <laughs> um, and uh, here we are. We're what about, what are we, six, seven months? I mean, we're longer than that, aren't we? Is it about nine months since that set came out? Was it January? That was one of the first releases of the year, it wasn't was, it? Yeah, it was January. So there we are. We're nearly a year after this set now. And um, they they haven't announced the box set that we all want. Yeah, yeah. The rumble in the jungle. Exactly. Um, otherwise, though, it is a it's a great story. It's a lot of fun. It, it's I love how sort of um, hearing McGann and India Fisher together for the first time at the start of this story. It's like just putting on your favourite pair of slippers. It's it, instantly you're just like oh i love this this pair i love these two characters i love the way they interact um and i particularly like the fact that this is set pretty early days for them it's the end of the first series um sort of in between the first and second series so it's relatively baggage free and it's they know each other well enough uh, to kind of you know enjoy each other's company and be like a really solid duo, which they really were, um, and we're not we're not so far in that we're having to deal with too much web of time, Daleks trapped in vortex, and so on and so forth kind of thing. So yeah, I, I really like just the fact that these two characters are back together and it is lovely it's lovely that we've just got a really really solid story to kind of kick the set off yeah absolutely um and as you say the placement for it couldn't have been more perfect because i think towards the end of the original run it maybe tended towards being a bit miserable maybe isn't the word but sort of a bit more downtrodden and and less bouncy happy fun which these sets are the early part of their run is and this set captures really well again um tom what do you think about the mummy speaks 
I mean, I, I certainly, um, like, I have a lot more love for Charlie than Lucy, I think. And so that obviously is, um, like, you know, a bit of a bias on my part. Because, But, yeah, I, I really, really love this story uh, and the whole set itself. Um, it's just such, it's such, it's delightful, I think, is the word to describe it. Just seeing them back together again, they're having fun as a gorilla. It's just like, I, and it's a really a good Alan Barnes story as well. I, I actually really like Alan Barnes. I love his dialogue and I, I always find it quite really witty. Um, and I think that's the case here. Just the whole, um, like, scenario where, like, Charlie's about to get, like, murdered and she's just quipping. Like, it's it's a bit comical. It's a bit... Uh, I guess glib, but not glib maybe, but, you know, it's, it's not necessarily taking itself seriously at all. But I just think it's, I don't think it really matters. I think it's it's a lot of fun and it, it captures, it does capture that vibe that the uh, the original um, run had um, in our series one, series two, where it's just Doctor and Charlie just having like romantic and, you know, romantic in the, the classical sense of the word. Uh, adventures throughout time and space, the, fir- the adventurous, and you know, it's, it's just a lot of fun. And also, there's also stuff like there's really funny moments, like the whole uh, Tardis translation circuit joke, which is like, it's not like it's p- p- writers have joked about it before, but I just find it really funny. It's a, it's so funny. It's um, yeah, like a really strong opener um, and a really great first uh, impression for the set. I feel. Yeah, I completely agree again. Um, the jokes are, as you say, really well done. They make it feel very, very fresh. But at the same time, I do love, really love some of the callbacks to um, earlier adventures um, from their run and from you know Doctor Who's history. Um, the two big ones being um, The Chimes of Midnight gets a call out and um, City of Death as well. There's a couple of references to um i really really like those um mcgann and you know fisher sort of get their old dynamic back really really quickly really easily and it's like they've never been away i know they've reunited a couple of times over the years i know they did um the light at the end and the end of the beginning the end of the beginning um and it was particularly the end of the beginning that had me wanting something like this set yeah thinking okay we've got these two back can we do a Lucy Miller and and have a set just exploring, you know, their era a little bit again? So when this was announced, it was like, yes, really delighted that that is happening. Long, long overdue. Was it like 20 years since they'd done a full story of their own together? Something mm. like that? Not, yeah. not that since, long, but since, it must have been 10. Since the run started? Since the, yeah, it was since the run started. Yeah, yeah. No, really, really like The Mummy Speaks. Um, second story in the set then was Eclipse, um, which is a bit of a change of pace. Um, what do we think, Johnston? Um, it's it's not my favourite of the set. It's got quite a bit going for it. It, it. it does have its interesting themes and ideas, but I think all of these stories do, to be honest. Um, there was just a little something missing for me, though, and I think it, it's... It didn't quite have the sense of adventure that a lot of the other stuff uh, has. Uh, also, I I do think that maybe it's a me thing, but I, there is a curse of big finish stories about bug-related monsters uh, that just, I don't know, I'm not a fan of them. I don't know why I'm not a fan of them, but whenever I listen... 
Do they, they bug, bug you? Me. Hey. Um, hey. Yeah, but whenever, whenever <laughs> I t- I t- is that it? Is that, yeah. Um, <laughs> they bug me. And I, yeah, I don't know. This just kind of falls into that category, and I do find that a lot of bug-related monster stories kind of just fall flat for me. And while this one is probably one of the more engaging, one of the more interesting, it still does fall into that category for me. No, that's that's fair enough. It does go into, um, or it does get a little bit horrifying at one point near the end, um, in a, in a way that made me sort of think it's just bordering on slightly too far for Doctor Who. But um, no, I think I'm 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 warmer on warmer on it maybe than you are, but still wouldn't call it my favorite. I of the also set. Uh, sort of you know when when I think Eighth Doctor and Charlie and Bugs. It brings a uh, Creed of the Chrome onto mind, and that is also an underrated masterpiece. That is also we don't talk about Creed of the Chrome. Not my favourite ever. Listen, when's the podcast episode where I get to defend Creed of the Chrome? Um, I mean, yeah, we can do that, I suppose. Um, oh, we could do like start like all of like Philip's. Stuff. Come on, that right? We could do a Philip. I'd, no, I'd, I'd genuinely be up for a Philip Martin episode. That's interesting. There we go. I, I, I love his uh, story. I'm washing my hair that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom, what do you think of Eclipse? Uh, well, it's going to be a running theme, but I absolutely loved it. Um, the the opening sequence where they're running, you know, starting media res and the running. Uh, I'm using a lot of terms. I've just started university, so I've just got these, like... <laughs> Like professional terms, just running in my head at the minute. So I'm just living and breathing. So I'm like, I guess this big finish story. It's very, uh, very, uh, you know. But no, um, it, yeah, I love it. It's just the it's sort of got a fairy tale vibe to it because it's you know it's in the woods and it's sort of on this like you've got these insectoid monsters and all that. Uh, not monsters, but you know, um, and they're, they're, it's it's really. Uh, I guess fun, which is probably the word that describes both these sets a lot. But I, I think there, there's a certain um, uh, quality that's really well captured here of the the earlier era. It it does it does in a, so like often feel like it has just been plucked out of time. Um, it, it does really well at capturing that nostalgia. I guess is probably what I'm uh, feeling and trying to vocalize. Um, but yeah, I love it. Like, like the villains could be seen as over the top, and I imagine for some they were. But I just think it really worked for me, and it really worked for what I wanted from this set, which is just like the Doctor and Charlie and massive escape and adventures. And yeah, it, it really it landed for me in a really positive uh, way. Oh no, that's good to hear. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's the bit near the end where the three villains get turned into trees. I think it's yeah. going to be just ever so slightly too far but part of that is maybe because of india fisher's or or rather charlie's reaction to it and how well india fisher plays the moment Mm. it feels so real in that moment i think i I think it is quite cartoonish i mean i mean the whole like the whole play has got like these really cartoony vibes of the doctor flying and these like like this massive like like trees and like it's it's all it's all I think it is meant to be seen as like a fairy tale where like at the end you know the big bad wolf gets sort of um 
you know, killed in a very bad way. I think it, I think it's I think it's trying to emulate that, which I can see why it didn't work. But I think it's I think it's purposely going through sort of a, I guess a childlike vibe in a way, and a childlike um, like a feel of um, you know fairy tales where like the villains get punished in a very obvious way and obviously a very ironic way in this in the case of this story where they're uh, you know turned into trees because they were being bad to the environment. You know, it's like. I can certainly see why it did come across as um you know too far, but for me, I I just read it as like you know like oh yeah of course that's what happened in this sort of story because that's the sort of story that they're telling where you know villain heroes get rewarded and villains get you know so um, it's interesting. It's supposed to be similar to Moffat, I guess, in a way where like you know in some of his more fairy tale uh, stories where they they do um you know go full in with the. Uh, them sort of that fairy tale morals, I guess. Yeah, no, that's all fair enough. Um, we'll move on to the third episode of the set then, um, and I need a little bit of a run up to this title, um, mm-hmm. the slaying of the writhing mass. Um, what do we think, Johnson? Um, this one started really, really strong. I kind of liked the the whole uh, sort of time travel traffic jam idea to see a uh, significant historical event uh something that got played with in um oh i've forgotten the name of the story it's a it's a hector one it's the middle one in the hector trilogy um and they played with the idea that you know time travelers are in ancient mask of tragedy or something like that is it mask of tragedy yes i think it is mask of tragedy um the whole, oh, yeah, you know, we're used to time travellers in ancient Greece. They come back here all the time. And I quite liked that. And it kind of plays with a similar idea, you know, a time machine traffic jam. Um, and, it, you know, it was it was a bit funny and it was a bit fun. And then it just kind of goes into the rest of the story, which is it loses that fun that it had in the first few scenes for me, which is a bit of a shame kind of started as one thing and turned into something else but it's i mean you know there's nothing in this set that's not enjoyable um so yeah i guess yeah no i i agree i i do like that you know that um opening or the first half you know set in the in the in the traffic jam um um i'm not entirely sure that the sort of timey wiminess holds up the further you get through it and the closer you get to the end but it is it is a fun lesson to begin with i think it almost feels a bit more like a lucy miller story at points than a charlie pollard one but that's not a bad thing it's nice to have charlie in that sort of story um tom what do you think yeah i mean obviously i i didn't really understand it um the time of wiminess of it sort of went over my head a bit which which can and it did you know take away some of my enjoyment but not not too much to be fair i i think um there's still there's still like a lot of fun characters in this like the whole um and there's quite a lot of fun character dynamics between you know the teacher and the 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 lady and you know all that sort of stuff it's um it's a confusing one. Um, I should go back to it, to be fair, and give it another shot. But um, I certainly still had a fun time with it, and I think uh, the ending's quite sweet as well. Um, so, yeah, um, it's. I see what you mean about it being a bit more like a, a Lucy Miller story. I think I'd probably agree there um, because of the pacing, I think. The pacing's quite... It's quite. It's really fast-paced, actually. 
um, which definitely reflects the Lucy era more than the the slower Charlie era. But um, it's probably the weakest in the set for me, but by no means bad at all. It's still like a really fun uh, listen. Yeah, nope, all, all fair enough. Again, I I I enjoy it. I don't think it's one that I'd maybe seek out as often as a re-listen. Um, if I was, you know, picking and picking and choosing from these sets, mm. um, it's maybe one that I'd maybe leave more if I was doing a complete run through of the Further Adventure S. Um, but we'll move. <laughs> 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 um, oh. we'll move on and we'll talk about uh, Heart of Orion. Um, again, picking up a sequel. Um, from a story that was made 20 odd years ago or 20 odd years before this one came out. Um, how do we think this one went, Johnston? Um, I was, as I said at the start, uh, I was quite surprised by this one because I was expecting one kind of story and got a completely different one. And I'm so glad about that. Um, it's sort of a Ryan, good story. I enjoy it, but it, we didn't need a Cyberman-y sequel. Um, but to kind of um, focus on the androids and all that kind of thing, I thought it was absolutely the right way to go. And it paid off. We got a great story. And it's it's a very human story, very emotional story. And I do find Nick Briggs as a writer, when he really wants to give you a proper emotional gut punch, he can do it. Uh, one of my favourite big finish stories of all time is Robophobia, and the end of that is just so beautifully, emotionally amazing and tragic. And we kind of got a lot of that emotion in this one as well. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was a very interesting sequel. It wasn't the sequel I expected, and it it was it was far better than I expected as a result of that. I really enjoyed this one. No, that's good. I, I, as as you say, I definitely appreciate it not being the sequel you expect um, from uh, sort of Orion. Um, but Tom, what did you think? Yeah, uh, I, I, I probably quite agree quite a lot with John Johnston actually. Um, I, I really like how it sort of acts as like a, an end cap to like season one in a way. It's like quite weird. I like because um, it, it's a great sequel, and it's a great sequel because it. It, it does subvert the way you'd expect it um, because, you know, you would expect the you would expect the Cybermen to, um, you know, appear in a sort of Orion sequel or something like that. Um, and it doesn't do that. And it goes down the, a much, much more interesting, uh, I guess, avenue of exploring the, the humans and exploring the androids, exploring that side of the bit and bringing back, the, you know, the, the, the android character, you know, and uh, picking up on that thread. Um, and it and it does it really well, and it's really emotional how it um it really uh, hits the, I guess the the core of um uh it, it hits it does hit quite a big emotional core, um and acts as quite a big I guess crescendo for the end of the uh, the set, um which yeah it and also Charlie gets a really good bit in it uh I completely forgot she gets like a lovely. Uh, moment to act out where you know a little plot line um, about you know androids and her you know point of view on humanity and all that stuff 
Um, it's really great. It was so unexpected. You know, I was just expecting a, I guess, a fun little romp, a rompy sequel. You know, um, and it and it delivered so much more. It probably is one of my favorite Nick Briggs stories, actually. I have to say, um, it it was it was really good. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely up there. Um, I think maybe you could argue that the subject material is a familiar one. It turns up an awful lot, um, you know, across science fiction, um, and it was certainly a you know, a really central part of Big Finish's early days with regards to the Orion War. So mm. while it does make sense to revisit it, I think a lot of stuff about the identity of of androids and what constitutes being a self-aware, you know, individual. Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously like, it has, it has been pretty definitively answered. Like, yes, <laughs> that's like, yeah, if, if they feel like human and they think like human, then yeah, like, you know. But, yeah. I still think it's I still think it's all right for Doctor Who to play in that. I mean, it's a bit similar to the fairy tale idea. Like I think, I think Doctor Who's fine to play around with, you know, quite familiar ground and just, you know, I guess pull at strings a bit and just have a bit of fun with these characters. Because I mean, that's Doctor Who is what it's most about, and it's the reason why these sets do work, and it's why they're here anyway. It's because of the characters, because of the Doctor and Chal and the Doctor and Lucy, and it's because of their dynamic. That's the reason why people are coming to these sets and why and why people want these characters back in the first place. The actual stories of... Well, it's obviously the stories made, you know, like without Chimes of Midnight, without Neverland, without, um, you know, Lucy Miller and To the Death, you know, all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't... They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't be as revered as they are but i still think that just the general characters and general actors and general joy of them being together i think that's what makes this so timeless and why we we keep coming back to these characters because they are just they're just such a joy to be around absolutely um i've seen these two sets described as um big finish doing to themselves what they've done to the tv series you know going back bringing back you know their own old actors and um, I wish they would do that more. I think I think there's yeah. a definite uh, potential in that, and I think there's a a definite uh, nostalgic demographic to to explore with that that isn't always explored as much as it could be. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Um, we've had, you know, Charlie has popped up the odd time, and Hex has, you know, maybe gone back and revisited the earlier parts of Hex's run in the main range, um, or they did before it ended. But I'd be up for that. You know, I'd be up for a Seventh Doctor Ace and Hex box set in this style. I'd be up for, you know, I'd I'd be up for bringing back, you know, the likes of some of those early companions, even RMM. You know, it'd be quite cool to hear from again. Um, We shall move on then, and we can have a little bit of a look to the future now because one of the reasons I was so keen to cover these two sets was because we have a new series of Eighth Doctor stories coming very soon in the last two months of the year um we have what lies inside and connections with Liv and helen um and it struck me that those two sets seem quite similar to the further adventures in that we're jumping slightly back um in a sense that we've had stranded and we've had a big cast of characters with andy and tanya and the other people in that house um and now we're going back a little bit to the eighth doctor and Liv and Helen in what seems to be mostly standalone adventures, um, which 
you know, seems very similar to these two. So are we excited? What are we looking forward to about these sets? Um, do we think it's a good idea to maybe tread water a little bit, if that's the right word, with the eight Doctor's range after it has pushed forward for so long? Um, Tom, are we looking forward? Are you looking forward to these sets? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I've heard Stranded. Uh, love Stranded. Um, I've not heard Dark Eyes through Ravenous, no, so I've not really, maybe he's got the fatigue that some other people have so for me this is like, like this is quite great because it's like yeah i can dip in whenever i want now to like i have talked to stories um which is probably why they're doing it really it's just uh so there's less because it it can be quite off-putting um you know because really it's there's been an unbroken run since dark eyes and then yes the doom coalition is a jumping on point ravenous less so from my gather stranded i jumped on was stranded and then you know i, I got the gist of it but like it can be off-putting because it's like you know um which I, I guess you could argue you know it's still got living ellen so it's is that thing but it does come across in the marketing and the the layout the set and that these are just standalone box sets now like a lot of the other doctors get um which i'm fine with um you know, I think I think it does give the potential now to just like slot these. I guess like a Charlie sort of loose set into like the main range, which I'm assuming they will do at some point. Um, and they'll just like do a bit of a rotation across the timeline, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm excited for the Drax sequel. That's gonna be great. I heard uh, the tour with Drax recently for the first time, and I'm so excited for the sequel. Um, yeah, it's um, it looks like a strong set of stories. So I guess we'll be covering that come December. Yeah, I'm really I'm always really, really excited for an eighth Doctor Hell and, and Live story. Um or a you know a set from them. Um the first it wasn't the first big finish I ever heard, but it was the first one I got when I started getting into it as a regular thing. Um was Doom Coalition One. So this team has always had a really um you know I've always had a really soft spot for them um really really close to my heart and it's always a delight to hear them back and i'm looking forward i am actually looking forward to having just a run of um you know maybe more relaxed and chilled standalone stories than you know end of the world end of the universe box sets um so no i'm excited and you know um I'm I'm maybe the most basic kind of doctor who fan out there but i love the daleks to bits I'm really looking forward to them. It's um, especially given the history. The two returning monsters here, this team have history with. Um, they've met the Daleks before, and they've met the Weeping Angels before. So it's nice that they're getting to go up against some of their old um, enemies again. Um, and the Weeping Angels story actually seems to be a little bit of a stealth sequel to Unit Dating um, from Stranded, because um, it's called Albie's Angels, um, and Albie was Helen's brother. Um, that she mentions at the end of unit dating. So I'm really looking forward to that one in particular, I think. Um, it's by Roy Gill again and can't come soon enough, really. Really, really excited for them. Um, I think that maybe wraps us up then. Um, it's been a pleasure um, doing this with you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. So... We'll end it there. Thank you very, very much, Tom. Thank you, Connor. And thank you very, very much, Johnston. Ah, thank you. And we'll be back next week for more spodcasting. Thank you all very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>